Hi, you're listening to Coffee Talk. I am your host, Liv Alliston. Uh, Before I start today, I really just wanted to take a moment to again thank all of uh, the listeners and supporters and subscribers of this podcast and also of the blog. Uh, And if you could just please give us a rating and a review on uh, either Spotify or iTunes, that would really go a long way to help boost where we come up in the search parameters. So thank you so much again for supporting us. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to give us a rating or a review. So today I wanted to talk about surrendering your wills to God's will for you. I was asked to speak at my church at a women's event. The first part to this, I will put a link to in the show notes, but it was uh, all about identity and identifying ourselves in the image of God. This is all about surrendering. So surrender means to yield something to the possession or power of another. It is a giving up of oneself. So if that doesn't give you the warm tinglys all over, then I don't know what will. But yet that is exactly what God calls us to do in his word. It is what Jesus modeled throughout his life. And it is where we should live life in a surrendered state, knowing that God is good and trusting that he conforms all things to his good will. So I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 8, starting in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first and go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm of the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? So I don't know if you caught that in verse 18, but Jesus was the one who gave the orders to go to the other side. So the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last... Jesus knew what storm was brewing. He knew how the disciples would fear and react to the wind and the waves, but he still ordered them to get in the boat and cross to the other side. Sometimes God will tell you to do something that inflicts momentary pain, but produces eternal glory. Did you know that God is not concerned about your comfort? Now that may seem harsh, but only because you aren't taking the whole picture into account. You see, God knows what really matters. He knows that what we see, what is real and tangible to us, is not really real. We have to remember that we are first and foremost spiritual beings with a physical body, not physical beings with a spirit. The world that we see around us is temporal. You and I were created for the eternal because we were made in the image of God. If you were looking at a letter that was written in code, it would look like a bunch of mumble jumble. But If you knew the code by which to decipher the message, well, then you're able to make sense out of what appears to be chaos. Cultivating and maintaining an eternal perspective is the code to deciphering what's happening in the here and now. When you look at your circumstances through an eternal lens, things start to make sense. Now, we may not always and completely understand on this side of heaven why things happen the way in which they do, why God allows certain things, 
But what we can see is that everything that comes to us has first been sifted by God's loving hands in order to cultivate in us a heart after him. God will always remove the things in our lives that do not draw us closer to him, the things that do not reflect his glory. And he does this for our good. So think of a dog who has a piece of wood stuck in his paw. If I don't remove that piece of wood, the dog won't be able to walk as it was created to do. And more than likely, the wood will cause further damage internally and potentially put the dog's life at risk. So I think that you could agree with me that the loving thing to do is to remove the piece of wood. But that inflicts pain. But only for the moment. Sometimes the uncomfortable pain we experience now is necessary to produce the joy and the peace that we will experience later. We see this confirmed in Jesus' life and example as he went to the cross for our sins. He endured unimaginable pain in the temporal realm so that he might secure our salvation in the eternal realm. You see, the purpose far outweighed the pain. I was reading Hebrews 11 recently, uh, the faith chapter, and of each of the great heroes of our faith, it is said that they were able to exercise that great faith that they're known for because they were constantly looking toward a heavenly home. They had an eternal perspective that put everything else in the right perspective. So back to Matthew 8, uh, we read in verse 24 that the storm came without warning is how the NIV describes it. So how many times in your life has something difficult or tragic happened that you knew was going to happen beforehand? Probably not very often. I mean, if we knew what was coming, we would prepare for it. We would do everything possible in our power to prevent the tragic and to lessen the difficult. But that would also lessen the teaching and the yielding that God wants to cultivate in us. God is more concerned about producing the fruit of the Spirit in your heart than in preventing the difficult in your circumstances. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How is patience supposed to be cultivated in our hearts if we never have to wait? How are we supposed to learn to exercise self-control if we're never tempted to overindulge? The fruits of the Spirit are markers of God's presence that fills us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So just as a stamp on a letter is proof that the postage has been paid for and applied to that piece of mail, The Holy Spirit is our proof as believers that salvation has been paid for by Jesus Christ and then applied to our lives. The seal establishes the identity. And when we believe in Jesus and receive his salvation, the Holy Spirit is our seal marking our identity in Christ. So others should be able to look at us and see to whom we belong. God will do whatever is necessary and remove whatever or whomever he must from our lives in order to draw us closer to him, to cultivate in us the fruit of the Spirit, making and molding us into his image. So back to our scripture, Matthew 8, verses 24 and 25. I'm going to read it again. It says, Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake, with waves breaking over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. 
Have you ever felt like God was sleeping through your circumstances, through your heartache, and through your struggling? I know I have, even more recently, but it wasn't because God was idle or silent or sleeping. It was because I was focusing on what I could see, the storm that was raging around me, the circumstances that were out of my control. And as I focus on the storm, fear begins to take hold and it paralyzes me. Doubt begins to creep in and steal my joy and my peace. It squelches my faith in my God. You see, just because we can't see him working does not mean he is sleeping. About two years ago, uh, my husband started a new job and I've written about it um, in a blog post called Carried. uh, And I've talked about it before in the podcast as well. But this job is a job in which if he didn't have clients, he didn't make any money. So we were having our second child during this transition and it was very stressful uh, to say the least. So to make matters even more stressful, um, I developed a blood clot post-pregnancy and I was admitted to the hospital for a week. So we had a lot of expenses and not a lot of paycheck. But it was during this time that God revealed to Drew a truth as he was reading um, our oldest, his toddler Bible one night. So for what seemed like the millionth time, Drew read the story of Jesus sleeping in the boat during the storm, the passage uh, that we're looking at today, Matthew 8. And God told Drew, if you only knew who was in the boat with you, you wouldn't be afraid. Wow. God has a way of just cutting through all the fluff and just getting straight to the heart of the issue. Why do you think God sent the storm that rocked the disciples' faith? It wasn't to harm them because God doesn't operate like that. That's not his character. It could have been to display Jesus' deity and authority over his creation. Absolutely, he did that. But I don't think that God ever does just one thing. I believe that God is so perfect in his orchestration of his creation that he can accomplish multiple things in a single act. You see, God will allow hard circumstances in our lives to reveal to us our heart posture and faith. In verse 26 of our passage today, it says that when Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, Immediately, it was calm. Only when he spoke did the storm leave. First, Jesus allowed his disciples to struggle. They struggled physically trying to navigate the boat and prevent it from capsizing the best that they could. They struggled in their faith wondering why Jesus was silent and sleeping. And when they woke him up in verse 25, before he even rebuked the wind and the waves, he first confronted their lack of faith. He dealt with the real issue. The storm did not cause their lack of faith in God. It revealed their lack of faith in God. The circumstances in our lives are lovingly orchestrated by God to bring to the surface any and all heart issues that are misaligned with him. So think of an old rickety rocking chair. If I sit on it and it breaks, it didn't break simply because I sat on it. It broke because it was already weak and it couldn't bear any extra weight. Our circumstances reveal our foundation of faith. If you press into God and root yourself in his word and in his character, then when the storms come, you will not only withstand, you will thrive. Circumstances crush weak faith, but they ignite fiery faith. So let me ask you something that God has revealed to me lately. If God told you to jump off a mountain, would you? Or would you just look at him and say, you are crazy? That is uh, basically what I told him (laughs) very recently. But let me ask you the same question in a different way. If you knew God would catch you, would you jump off that mountain? Would you take that step of faith? 
You know, sometimes God calls us to step off the ledge so we can know that we are caught by him. Each and every time you step out in faith, it will become that much easier to trust him because God will continue to prove himself faithful to you over and over and over again. It's who he is. Each act of obedience and faith he calls us to, he keeps reinforcing this idea of, I'm in the boat with you. There's no reason to fear. I've got you. Step off the ledge and experience my great faithfulness. I am choosing to press in and I've resolved to believe what God has said over what I can see. And he continues to prove himself time and time again. He's taken us deeper and farther than we ever could have imagined. And it only takes one simple step of obedience, surrender. You see, when you know the one to whom you are surrendering, it isn't scary or crazy. It makes sense. It's the only safe option that you have. At the end of the passage, the disciples say, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Are you kidding me? The disciples actually physically walked with Jesus. They saw miracle after miracle and still They weren't sure if Jesus was who he said he was. Have you doubted that God is real? I know I have. I have been struggling a lot lately. And when Drew and I were praying about this new job opportunity that he had, I asked God, is this even real? And I heard him say, it's as real as I am. I thought that was an interesting choice of words. And a few weeks later, I was having a really bad day. Every little thing was going wrong. And I just lost it. I got to the end of myself and I was really starting to struggle with, is God even real? Is he even there? And now I I realize that God didn't use that choice of words to enforce to me how real the job was, but to reveal in me that there's a small part that maybe always wonder whether or not he was real and if he really was with me. I love how God includes these moments in the scriptures to show us that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to doubt. You just can't rest in that. You can't stay in that. Doubting Thomas, uh, as he's often infamously referred to, refused to believe his fellow disciples when they said Jesus was alive again. He said he would only believe when he put his hands on Jesus's pierced side and put his fingers in the holes of his hands and feet. Jesus never condemned Thomas for his lack of faith. He addressed it but he never condemned him for it. Jesus appeared to Thomas, in fact, just so he could touch his hands and his feet. He invited him to do so. Jesus met Thomas right where he was. And you know what? Thomas was the disciple who took the gospel the furthest. And just like in this story, Jesus addressed the disciples' lack of faith. But you know what? He still stopped the storm. You see, this story was never about the disciples having enough faith. This story is all about the disciples learning to rest in the one who is ever faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So what is God wanting to teach you in the boat? What cliff is he asking you to step off of in faith? Are you willing to surrender what you perceive as safety to embrace all that God has for you? You may think it's safer to not jump, safer to stay on the shore instead of to get in the boat. But let me tell you, if God isn't in it, then you don't want to be. Playing it safe out of fear is not safe at all. Obedience to God's commands, however crazy and impossible they may seem, is the only safe move you can make. So are you willing to surrender to his plan, however impossible and crazy? Are you willing to surrender to his timing, however painful the wait? 
Lord, I thank you for everyone listening today. Thank you for your word that you include these hard moments in it for us to learn from people who are very human and who fell short all the time. Lord, we surrender to you. Help us to surrender to you. So often I say that I surrender, but I really don't know what that even looks like. I don't really even know how to let things out of my grasp and out of my control. So I pray that you would teach me how, that teach us how, that you would show us how to surrender to you and that you would help us to do that each and every day in each and every situation and circumstance, no matter how crazy and impossible, however sad our circumstances may be or difficult. I pray that you would cultivate in us and maintain in us an eternal perspective, putting everything else in the right perspective, that you would remain first and foremost in our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. Lord, we ask that you cultivate in us a heart after you. We choose to trust you. We love you and we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining me today for Coffee Talk. You have been prayed for and I will catch you next time. 